folks. It's uh, it's Will Meneker here. Welcome to your chapo. Uh, we got a very special episode for you um, on uh, one of our old favorites, Aaron Sorkin. So this might actually be worth two episodes. I didn't get all the way through it because there's a lot. There's a lot. He speaks very fast, too. So an hour of Sorkin is like three hours of a normal person. That's true. I think that's the exact ratio. Yeah. So I actually, in my insane boredom, uh, decided to subscribe to the Masterclass series, uh, which bills itself as an online education outlet, um, but it's more of kind of like a, a, a venture capitalist celebrity seminar thing. It is deranged bullshit, which I, I knew going in, but I, I wanted to see like what this economy was. And also it has really it has some really good people on it, which is insane. Yeah. It has well, like David Lynch. Impre- yeah. That's how they got everybody paying attention because they came out of the gate with huge uh big people in all these fields. Yeah, well they also had uh Kevin Spacey and Dustin Hoffman at some point, but those have been removed. <laughs> what? Yup. Yeah, Ugh. which is terrible because I would love to watch Kevin Spacey. Yeah, I mean, how the hell do acting. you do a Jack Lemon impression? That's amazing. It's <laughs> one of the hardest ones you could do, and he's he has a perfect one. I want to hear how he does it. So I think it's just the like Phil worth- Spector masterclass was very poorly received. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, like I like a killing your wife masterclass. <laughs> it's like we're not saying you should do it, but if you do it, this is the way that it should be yeah. done. If you wanted to, there is a way. There are techniques. There are procedures. This has been specialized and honed. There are people who are great at killing their wives. They're called Russians. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's there's weird shit in it, too. Like, there's, like, Misty Copeland, and she's, like, the principal dancer for, like, the American Ballet, and, like, this is a technique class, and I'm like, there's no way this is a technique class because you can't. Like, ballet technique is, like, an advanced thing, and the entire premise of ballet is that you do these fundamentals and you build on them. And, like, professional dancers take, like, ballet one over and over again to perfect, like, the move. Like, it it doesn't make any sense. So I'm, like, looking at it, and, like, there are a few things that are, like, sort of ballet-specific, like, where she talks about building up so much muscle that she lost her flexibility. But the majority of it is just, like, you know, what you expect is like, you know, sometimes people are going to tell you you don't have the right body or the right look, but, you know, they're just strong and you have to keep doing it. And like, I don't give a shit, girl, cash that check. You can't be a dancer forever. But it is like really insane that everyone kind of knows that this service isn't providing like hard skills or real classes. It's like motivational talks, most of it. Yeah. Every once in a while, someone will apparently give you like something good. Like apparently the Lynch one has like, him saying, like, so you get note cards, which is good technical advice. And actually, Sorkin gave at least one piece of good technical advice, which is, like, start by adapting a short story. Yeah, Everything no, else is bullshit. Yeah, no, the Sorkin one, so I only watched the Sorkin one, but while I was watching the Sorkin one, I was, like, wondering what these are for, kind of. I can't, and the yeah. most likely answer is, like, mo- this is money laundering. But... Yes. If I'm going to take them at their word that this is a service that uh, is a profit uh, for profit company service, uh, who's it for? It's for like people who just turned either 30 or 40 
and they they're freaking out about that age and then they see things that are like oh yeah well marilyn monroe was actually 53 years old when he was she was in her first movie so right it's never too late to start in anything did you uh yeah carlos santana he was in hospice care when he released his first album so uh <laughs> No, it's people like that who are like, look, it's not too late. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be a, uh, I mean, what's a job someone like this would have? It would be like, uh, an actuary. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to be an actuary forever. I want to write my movie about, uh, the, an actuary the, 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 the that real, has a lot of sex. Real actuary who fucks a lot on match.com or like the guy who invented jawbreakers. Uh, I'm not going to just give up here. I'm not just going to resign to the rest of my life. It's made for like yeah, sort of nervous, solidly middle or upper middle class people who want to pursue a creative ambition. So most of the advice they totally. get isn't real. It's just to like allay an anxiety by virtue of them doing this class and like shitting out whatever creative effort they're taking the master class in. Right, and like the other thing is, is that like because this stuff is a lot of it is very craft based, or at least it was initially. Like writing is a craft, dance is a craft, things like that. It doesn't make any sense to put it this way because the actual way to do that is to like do it. Like if you want to write a novel, you should read novels and start writing. And like that's not an in- that's not interesting advice. And then you should discuss novels with other people. And like you have to like do the thing. And these people, I think, I think the people who like this are still kind of rubes that believe in some sort of meritocracy. And they believe that if they, like, take the class and follow the instruction and, like, um, you know, have some kind of credentialed person, like, they, too, can be... I don't know. It's really strange. It's really strange. But it's definitely, like, a midlife crisis thing, I think, most most of the people that are doing it. And I think that what they're really looking for is permission to pursue it. And they're they're like, well, I'm just some schmuck. Mm -hmm. Why am I trying to do something? If you paid X amount of money to hear a person who has X amount of success tell you how to do something that is like in your head now as a way to actually motivate you to do the thing. Like, mm-hmm. you, well, of course I, I've now paid for the master class. I now took the lesson, so I need to do it. And I don't know if that's effective or not, but yeah, the real thing about it is that it is a thing to nudge you in the direction of doing the thing that you want to do. Right. It's not going to give you the and skills to do they're, it. They're, you have a teacher you in some essence get like the what like the permission that people need which is like credentials like i took a class yes okay so first i just want to this is why this might actually bleed over into a second episode at some point i just want to talk about where this business model came from so the master class again build is like a an online education service but it's like the venture capital like celeb seminar streaming service so it started by these two guys, um, Aaron Rasmussen and David Rogier. Aaron Rasmussen's first sort of venture was uh, something called Harcos Laboratories. Oh, that sounds totally legitimate and not terrifying. Uh-huh. Okay. So he got a tr- he was working in robotics in Silicon Valley, as you can imagine. It, when he was studying robotics in college, his like senior project was a robotic gun, a, a sentry gun. Cool. Right, right. So cool guy already, straight out the gate. He goes on to, when he's working in robotics, found this place called Harcos Laboratories in 2008. So they 
sold what they call um, energy supplements. It was a gamer fuel outlet specifically for a specific type of nerd. So, <laughs> so it's not just gamer. I mean, like it's not even like the carbonated kind. It's like it's the Kool Aid kind, right? It is like one of the early people who said like. Hey, do you want to stay up all night playing video games? Here's a thing. But they had a novelty angle to it. So, for example, one of their products is called Blood Energy Potion. And it comes in like a fake IV bag and is made to look like blood. Oh and, <laughs> and and it awesome. has 80 and it's ta- and it tastes like fruit punch and has 80 milligrams of caffeine in it. There's also a zombie uh, zombie version, which is green and is lemon-lime. Okay, that's epic. Well, I think G Fuel is like the perfect... They don't literally make G Fuel, but that type of thing is perfect. It's a perfect analog to what Masterclass is. Yes. G Fuel is... It's just like powdered Red Bull that you can make in a shaker bottle or a cup. And the way this it's This comes market- in a Capri Sun bag, right? The way, that, the way that it's marketed to people is like, oh, do you want to be as good as like, you know, fucking shroud or ska or nothing or simple. i do yes yeah it's like no it's not just that they they have i mean i think like a lot of the stuff in masterclass just like pro gaming you can get really good at it but mostly your ceiling is genetic someone who's a world-class csgo player they are just born with better reflexes better aim a better game sense a better ability to figure out what's going on in a game than you ever will have you can grind that stuff. You can grind aim. You can grind reaction time. But your chances are you have a way lower ceiling than they do. I think writing is the same way. I think you can either write something or you can't. You either have like a natural rhythm of how speech works on paper or you don't have it. And I think that you can get better at it, but you're going to have a natural ceiling. Same with like any of the other shit they're really teaching here, pretty much. Uh, you well, are limited the, genetically is- in a lot of creative pursuits or athletic pursuits. and. Yeah. But G Fuel has the same, not the same business model, but the same idea as Masterclass, which is like, nah, the only thing separating you from them is that you haven't bought this shit yet. That's the sell of all supplements, though. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. like you can become a better athlete. Maybe this supplement might help if you, like, there is such a thing as sort of like sports, health, medicine, and supplements and stuff like that. But it's like, you are not a titan. And you weren't born with the ability to be that kind of athlete and buying these things won't make you that. Like I it's, say, yeah, it's, it's an edge you have plus just a shit ton of boring work and developing a craft. That's yeah, what no, it is. It's only caring about that thing. And then your genetic thing. It's like, I promise as one of the greatest podcasters who's ever lived, <laughs> I will never act like you can get my genetic gifts, you listener. You can. No. Unless, of course, uh, you buy our new uh, podcaster's fuel. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Right. Yeah. That could do it. Um, I, I'd like to say that, uh, you know, just to go on to the, the origin story of this guy, the Silicon Valley guys who get into food stuffs, I find are often the biggest freaks oh, of yeah, them all. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, anyone who wants to but, hack eating yeah. is a sicko. Yes. Terrifying. And, like, so you're, like, you read into, like, the Soylent guy. And for what Soylent is, right, the, the basic idea, if you're coming out being like, I want to make a thing that, like, if that if you wanted to, you could replace it's a meal. slim fast. Right? Like, yeah, you grab it, you dr- drink it, you don't have to eat, it's fine, it's easy. 
if that was the goal coming out, you'd be, I'd be like, fine, that's a reasonable thing. But you read about what that guy wanted to do, and he's like, no, I wanted to solve eating. Yeah, eating was eating a problem. Is a problem. We need to go past and eating. I, and I'm look, yes, which is uh, insane. Yeah. Um, so this stuff did very well, apparently on paper. I would love to know whether or not it actually did well, as we well know from like, um, you know, we work, there's a lot of sort of speculative, I mean, like Silicon Valley gets to value its own prod products. So it's very possible. It didn't like really turn a profit. Then again, I could totally believe that like every, um, you know, whatever accountant that had like a, a walking dead party wanted this novelty fake blood at their party that had a bunch of caffeine in it. And it, and it it comes in a little bag. It comes in a little bag. Like that's the thing. This is the sort of thing that, because it's 2008, mind you. So like nerd culture and nerd novelty products, huge. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. That is what they look like. Yeah. This is energy potion. I I have potion. Taste in the back of my mouth of 2012 of seeing that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, wow. Uh, just like uh, I, I have a completely clear iPhone cl- case. I am, uh, I, I'm reading articles on Slate uh, mm-hmm. about bodies and spaces. I'm I guess uh, canceling Pat and Oswald. What am I doing in 2012? Uh, you're calling people a fuck waffle. Yeah. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. that's all that's going. That's it's all, it's all, it's all just like coming up 2008. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, reading oatmeal comic strips. Feels good, right? I, again, it could maybe it may actually did make money. I could totally believe that. Like that time period, there was a rush on very stupid nerd products. I, I, want- I demand my post. I mean, for a while there was a thing where you bought yourself birthday gifts every month and they mailed them to you remember oh that oh my god yeah loot boxes loot in real crates. Life. that was loot awful boxes. um Ugh. yeah if you wanted to become a millionaire in 2012 what you had to do is like make a type of bacon called like man strips that came in a fake yes. first aid kit yeah. yes and this is what this guy did he made quote-unquote an- an energy supplements but it's like it's just high caffeine kool-aid for like nerds who are like extra nerds who want who want their gamer fuel to like have a nerdy reference to it to be epic and yeah, there was only epic. one good game in 2012 and it was uh is battlefield and uh i think it was battlefield well uh i'll have you know that there there were at least two because uh his project after this was of course a game well wait wait what was the game <laughs> you're gonna be so mad at me oh no so he crowdfunded an audio-only video game called Blindside that has oh. no visual to it because you're blind in it. Everyone in the world is blind, and you have to navigate the world. Jesus. This is what every goddamn fucking game was like <laughs> at that time. Like, something awful happened where everyone who made games, like, they all went to Sarah Lawrence at the same time. And they're like, what if we inverted the tropes of making these fun to fucking play? <laughs> it almost what if we subverted it, it, it games but not fun yeah it was almost like the death of like the fps and tps genre because every game that like games i'm oh, i'm gonna sound like a gamer gate guy every game that journalists wrote about was like um yeah actually this game is just that you write an essay and you can't win or lose <laughs> like, it was <laughs> a fucking awful time because i it, remember yeah. it's like there was a game that people kept talking about where you like go through an someone's house and like read their mail 
Wasn't that a game? What was there the guy who like, was in a bad marriage? <laughs> I think that's just something you were doing at the time. <laughs> I <laughs> no. Nick had this game at one point that was just, I think it was just a guy in a bad marriage after one of their kids had died. Well, yeah, okay, so there was an old game. Like, well, you're talking about Hard Rain, which is yes, one of the worst fucking games like that. This I was is, watching. I'm like, what is this? Why would anyone play this? Shout out to CJ, our friend CJ from E Chain. He uh, tried playing Hard Rain on stream and quit because there was a part where he had to jam triangle to use the character's inhaler because he was having a panic attack. <laughs> <laughs> he had to collect I quit because I was like, I, I got too sad. There, like playing yeah. it. Well, there is one older game that's like this. It's called Shenmo, but Shenmo's like brilliant. Shenmo has like an amazing plot. And it's actually like I think there's a different I, I, I can't fully articulate this idea, but I think there's a difference between someone who hates their art form, so they want to, you know, invert it, and someone who actually just really believes in their art form, so they take it to the furthest possible extent. I think an example of the latter category is someone like James Cameron who like uh, <laughs> he loves action movies so much and he's not inverting them or subverting them. It's just like, oh, he's showing you all that you can do with that. Shenmo is the same way. It wasn't like this wasn't made by some fucking asshole who hates video games like a lot of these games were and wants to like, oh, what if you never actually played them? It was like, oh, I can really tell an incredible, long, detailed story and have it go to sort of the slow pace in the format of a game. But games like hard rain or like this asshole's blindness simulator they're made by people who fundamentally do not enjoy games and don't enjoy what don't understand why they're fun so this guy i think is just such a fucking grifter he knew that this would look good on a crowdfund and maybe also that it had some early like id paul um kind of disability uh like appeal to it yes that is very well okay you know this is what it's like for blind people yeah but that's that's not what it's like for for blind people but blind people don't don't see they don't uh, grapple or, they don't gamify not seeing that's not how <laughs> that's not how it works anyway so it got some like woke press because of that but of course like it was apparently like not fun so no one played it but the the interesting thing to me is that like when he was promoting it he did the silicon valley thing where you have to tell a story because that's that's what that's how you you pitch your project uh, and some of these stories are better than others. Like Elizabeth Holmes' story, dog shit. She's like, I didn't like shots when I was little. It's like, no <laughs> one did. That's not a story. Bitch, you suck at this. I didn't mind shots. I cool. I mean, like, yeah, but no one loved it. I didn't I was, I, it. I hated it. I was fine I with it. Well, I, after, I was, sh- after shots. I was I just like- chain smoking, asking yeah. Dr. Pause, like, how he was doing. Like, I would have a special lunch with my mom after shots. Maybe that was the part I enjoyed. Well, see, there you go. I got no goddamn lunch of any kind. Okay. Well, yeah, I also like lunch. I also got the I also got the post doctor treat uh, system, which I, I I I would like to repeat in my own parenting. But he said that he was inspired for this game, which a term I'm using loosely, by an incident in high school when he mixed like red phosphorus for something else and caused an explosion and blinded himself for a while. <laughs> and and the way he described it, he's like, I just woke up in the hospital full of drugs and everything and like I saw nothing. And it's like, okay. First of all, what high school gives kids a chemistry set that they could blind themselves with? Second of all, 
I got better. Like he said, his corneas grew back. Damn. No, it definitely happened. Did, He's Wolverine. Anyone, I'm assuming that there are tons of people who can confirm this story for him, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. 100%. <laughs> so needless to say, I'm skeptical, especially because like when he talks about when his story for the, you know, zombie blood and like one of them also looks like little hearts, you know, like like health hearts. You drink the little health heart. The story he said for that was like he started out by saying like we were working 16 hour shifts in robotics and we're like how are we going to stay awake and then later he said well we were playing a lot of world of warcraft so like those are two different reasons yeah and all these people are pathological liars so yeah so that's that's the that's the young the young buck behind it the big money the angel investor is this guy David Rogier and he's one of these freak tech prodigies that's like sold his first company in junior high school like it was like a search engine. He did logistics for Tesco for years. Boy, yeah, oh God, this was, bloody brilliant. This, yeah. this is someone taunting us. Also, like logistics for during this period, Tesco was like noted for just really cracking down on workers' rights. And what logistics is a lot of times is like the mathematics of efficiency. Like, and the way he describes it in his, like, LinkedIn is, like, I helped more food get to low-income neighborhoods. It's like, no, you figured out how to work on a skeleton crew and pay people the least amount of money and make a no, yeah, That's what logistics is. So often when anyone has, like, a boring-sounding uh, corporate job at a retail chain, it's like, uh, how, do I, how do I get inside the brainstem of the lowest-paid employees to get them in yeah. trouble? Yeah, totally. So, um after doing that for a while, he went to Stanford Business School and studied under this guy, Michael Deering, who came up with something that might be well considered the predecessor to, um, to, to Masterclass called a Harris Medal. So it is another kind of online class thing, but it's tech-centered and for, uh, let's say, non-traditional students. So there's things like... Um, the Great Job Meditation, which is a guided meditation on capitalism, civilization, and your role in it. Chris, I will send you a clip of this so you can play part of it. Now in that happy location, there's also a large TV screen. It's showing some people at work. You can see them talking to each other. They're in a room with paper all over the table, post-it notes, and writing on a whiteboard. These are your competitors and they seem very sad and upset. You listen, and you can hear them talking about you and your team. They're panicked by your creative product line and your beautiful prices. They're shaken to the core by your high gross margins. They don't know how they will compete against you for talent, for customers, or even for the air they breathe. In a small window in the upper right corner of the screen, you see a text message has come in for you. It's from Adam Smith himself. And it says, great job. Um, There's also educational things like the cognitive distortions of founders. Oh, uh, one is uh, the Drake Equation, an accidental gift to business leaders. Do you know what the Drake Equation is? Uh, How young a girl is when you can start texting her. (laughs) Oh, you're so small. Nice, nice. Uh, actually, the Drake equation is a thing. It's, it's, it's an equation that they tried to use very early on to figure out what is the 
um, likelihood of life existing in other planets. So my favorite class offered by this 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 freak that I, I that David Roger is standard under is called, and I swear to God, this is true. Harriet Tubman, hero of capitalism. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, queen. So it calls itself a business school, but it's kind of the um, University of Phoenix of uh, tech stuff. And it's an incubator. So like people go in and they pitch and this guy uses his angel funding to decide which people's ideas he's going to invest in and make money off of. So the, the school is, I mean, it's, it's a weird new form of exploitation. These incubators are really interesting. So, so it's like, this is just like a, a uh, private equity fund with a tax break, right? Like with, with a bigger tax break than even those get. Because I, I, they can pretend like it's a fucking school. I think that's the reason for calling it a school. Because yeah. I don't even think we even have like the legal framework for something like an incubator at yeah. this point. Because it's essentially like, it's kind of intellectual serfdom. It's like, you can yeah. stay here, you can work the land. Also, I get to, I get to take all of your ideas and, and do things with them. So this is who David Rogier um, uh, studied under. So the Capri Sun zombie blood guy uh, goes to uh, David Rogier and says, hey, I got this idea. Uh, what if we just paid a bunch of really famous people to, um, you know, give motivational speeches or whatever? So it comes from like a shit ton of money. I mean, like this guy. Oh, this, I could tell. Yeah. yeah. Like looking at the production of these, I could see every pore on air. Well, Aaron Sorkin and everyone else, they look like if they were rendered in Final Fantasy because it's very detailed, but they're very, they're smoother than they are in real life. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a little too soft. Yeah. It's a little too, it's a, it's a little too smooth. We've been dealing a lot with the theme of smoothness uh here on Chapo and I think it's worth exploration. No, well that is if I could pick one word to describe our current culture it would be smooth. That mm-hmm. is during my viewing of network TV shows, it's like what is the common theme in all these smoothness? What is everything now? It is like one big long shiny turd that exit your exits your ass and you don't wipe and you walk around the rest of the day with a little shit in your asshole but uh you don't even remember crapping that out nothing from our everything from this very ephemeral moment of culture has any friction or edges to it it's meant to just pass through you i also kind of think maybe aesthetically at least in cinema it might be a reaction to the over gritification of movies there for a while like that started with Dark Knight, where they were just like it's gritty, and they're like, okay, this is good, but grittier is better. Like that is like if, yeah. if this is good, then why don't we just like actually put mildew on the on the yeah. film? Yeah, and then Marvel showed up and said, hey, how about smooth instead? And people were like, yeah, let's try some smooth. And that's yeah. like when it's taken to its furthest extent. Like that's why the Warcraft movie depressed me so much because it was like. Wow, that was the smoothest thing I've ever seen. One of the smoothest things I've ever seen. Zero characteristics. Zero. Yeah. It was like a face movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cinematic Olestra. (laughs) Yeah. So um, out of those two great minds uh, with, I guess, um, by the way, massive freak, uh, Michael Deering, look him up, with, I guess, him as sort of the intellectual godfather of it, they come up with Masterclass, where they... Pay a lot of very impressive people to say a bunch of bullshit, some of which might be good 
advice here and there, but like, that's not how you learn to write. You learn to write by writing and reading and discussing writing with other people who write. You, you can't stream being a writer. It doesn't work. And they chose to uh, have Aaron Sorkin be their screenwriting, uh, quote unquote, teacher. Now they did this, or this one went live June 19th, 2016. So I'm guessing they wanted to sort of like, um, you know, capitalize off the, off the Obama nostalgia and off of the kind of West, West Wing nostalgia. Plus, I bet it's very easy to shoot with Sorkin because he finishes everything in one day, if that. So I am not like a Sorkinist. Uh, I've, I've had to watch the newsroom and uh, episodes of the West Wing for this show, but I'm certainly not a completist. And I haven't watched that much of it, but you figure out the Sorkin world almost immediately just jumping in. Like first it's confusing because there's like a lot of characters and you're like, what's going on? But like very quickly, all of the tropes become immediately obvious to you and everything that you guys have been joking about like perpetually suddenly makes sense. Um, also, uh, we have a friend who insists it is a good show, which I dispute, but based only on what I have seen. So I think the first thing is that the intro that he does, which is like a two minute like bumper thing, you know, where he goes, uh, damn it. And he's like, says some sentence. He's like, okay, first rule of screenwriting. No one ever starts a sentence with damn it, which is one untrue and two, literally who cares? Because like, I love stylized dialogue. My problem with like Sorkin's dialogue isn't that it's stylized. I love like the Charles Portis inflected dialogue of a Coen Brothers movie and no one talks like that either. But the disturbing thing that I realized in watching this is that Aaron Sorkin thinks that people talk like Aaron Sorkin characters. He walks around every day, and when he orders his coffee or picks up his dry cleaning, what he hears in his head is Aaron Sorkin dialogue. And that must be a terrifying way to live. Like being stuck, you know those people who did too much acid and they're just stuck yes, in it forever? Yes. That's him. That's his life. Yeah, whatever he cracks his back, like there's a little like, in his spine, it releases just like a, a, a fucking typhoon of walk and talk dialogue. And he thinks he's there. He thinks he's in the White House. I like So, yeah, when I was watching it and it shows like they pay for the rights to this to like use old Aaron Sorkin bullshit. And it's like when I was watching it, I was like, what is because having now watched a ton of modern network TV. I'm like, well, I can't argue that a lot of these Sorkin shows are way better than these. They're way better than fucking This Is Us or Council of Dads or a middle, million mm -hmm. little things. But it's like, because they're a trick. They have a trick. Like, Sorkin dialogue has, like, a rhythm. It's like it's like a play. It's right. not, I and I thought he knew that, that these aren't realistic no, how people talk. He they have He doesn't know that. Like, when I was watching it, I was like, well, I don't like what Sorkin does, but it's, like, clever and it digests easily because it has this false rhythm that people's actual fucking speech does not have. But he, this psychopath, thinks that, like, when Obama would have conversations, it was like this. Yeah, which must be a terrifying way to live. Honest to God, again, I'm only halfway through this thing, but I'm coming out of it with a great deal of pity for Aaron Sorkin, who apparently lives in a hell world. Where everyone yeah. is walking and talking all the time. <laughs> that poor guy. And okay, so like full full disclosure, I am not a, a medical doctor. 
obviously, just as a disclaimer, uh, nor am I a counselor of any kind. But Aaron Sorkin in person is, shall we say, a bit high energy. Uh, yes. A, a bit frenetic. Yeah, he says in the first episode, like the prelude, he's like, I apologize in advance. Yes. I prefer communicating by, uh, you know, by paper. By text. He's like, I'd rather put it on the paper. And I, I relate to that. I would rather, I mean, me personally, I'd rather be posting. Like, I, right. I, I don't consider myself an amazing speaker. I would, I, uh, my medium is posting. Right. And this is the weird thing, too, because, like, you know, for, for like, the podcast, like, I, I'm a writer and you're a poster and, and you know, Matt and Will are great extemporaneous speakers, but we just sort of, like, ramble until we say something funny. But it yeah. is a separate thing. And I, I kind of had this weird crisis when I heard him say that because he's like, just so you know, I, I never go in a straight line. And he does, he's, he's, he has a very rhizomatic thought process where he zips around and, and I was just like, oh, shit, that's me. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. And because that is totally me. That is you, too. And then yeah. I was like, and he's like, I, I'm better on paper. And I'm like, oh, shit. What if this means that I'm not actually a good writer either? I'm just a better writer than I am a speaker. And I'm a dog shit speaker. So it's just a comparison thing. So I had like a little bit of an artistic crisis listening to him. Also, though, he, I don't want to get sued. <laughs> okay, I know what you're going to say, I think. Sorkin has talked about his um, relationship to cocaine before. Oh, yeah, he got busted in an airplane. Yeah. Or uh, in an airport. When was that? That was like during, I think, that was during the West Wing. Well, um, he says he's clean now. Who am I to, to argue with that? I, yeah, I, I will say this in the, I don't want to accuse him of anything. I mean,. We don't want to get to have a, doom, a Zoom deposition now, but uh, <laughs> he seems like he's taking gamer fuel. He's obviously gamer fuel. He took some G fuel before this. Something. He's sucking down that zombie blood juice or yeah. something. He has, uh, he's very frenetic and he zips around a lot. And to some degree, I think that's just him. And like, to some degree, I understand that because i think felix is the same way our brains kind of wander around for no reason and end up in weird places but also he thinks that he's like really good at writing and he thinks being bad at speaking makes him good at writing which is upsetting and sad okay i i think i'm gonna say something very qualified i think that for the current medium of tv Sorkin is like probably on the higher tier of TV, right? Oh, like certainly, he's, he's mm -hmm. better than Ken Olin, and Ken no, no Olin, question, yeah, way fucking better than that fucking piece of shit little demon. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's like great writing, right? right. So here's the thing that I actually liked about Sorkin and made me um, sort of feel uh, bad for him. Because, first of all, he clearly lives in a hell world of permanent cocaine brain. Yes. Um, but he actually does have a pretty coherent writing philosophy. Mm -hmm. Like, he's thought about it. Uh, I don't agree with it at all. But, you know, it's, it's there. And he has, like, worked out, like, a system. And I think it's kind of bloodless and ridiculous and um, inhuman. But he definitely has an idea of the way you create a world. Now, the people in that world he's not so interested in. Um, but I also like the, the speed thing. I couldn't figure out like the speed thing and like why he was 
why he's obsessed with speed and the rapidity of this stuff. And, it, you know, not just for chemical reasons, but I figured it out. It's backmasking because it's literal Satan. You know how, like, when you would play like a, like a, like the theory was that if you played like a Judas Priest record backwards, it would tell you to cure, kill your parents. Yeah. Okay. So if you play uh, Aaron Sorkin at normal speed, it tells you to make the earth uninhabitable to every generation that comes after you. So it's kind of a reverse move for it. Like that's my theory is that it's all, there's all hidden, hidden liberal death cult shit in his speed. But okay. Yeah. Again, I don't agree with his, his writing um, philosophy, um, which I believe is hiding an evil satanic message, but he definitely has one and it's really weird to watch him describe it. Um, Amber, Amber, did you notice one of the scenes from West Wing they used was one of our least favorite things in the show, and it was um, when, God damn, what the fuck did they name this piece of shit character like Ainsley Everhart or some yeah, yeah, uh, idiotic yes. crap? Yeah. Anus, uh, Anus, yeah, Anus, Anus, Anus or whatever yeah. she uh, she owns. She's a Republican babe who owns Sam Seaborn on cable yes. news and they're like you need to work for the white house so we can have a team of rivals and that scene is like very demonic that's a very like the the super thrust demonic. of that scene is super demonic because it's like for what purpose would you have that person there other than to think of more creative ways to institute austerity right that's totally. it yeah and he brings these people on and and, and the entire like he tr- sort of tries to do a comedy thing with it where he's like, she's saying she thinks she's going to get dressed down, but actually the guy's trying to offer her a job. And then she's like, wait, what? You're offering me a job? What? Yes. Well, that, that's the other thing. It's like, why would you be, if you were a Republican, why would you be, why would you be in, invited to a Democratic White House to get yelled at? And if you thought <laughs> yeah, that, why, why would, would you, you come? Be scared of that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's like, do you think like, like you're not my boss? Fuck you. Yeah, like what? Like. That the Democrat would just call Republican like TV commentators in to be like, you have to be less mean to the people we said not TV. Right. Well, and the honestly, idea, they, the the idea is that she respects like, the office exactly. so much. Yes. Yeah. She respects the White House so much that said being yelled at by the president, even though he's a dirty baby eating liberal, <laughs> would still be horrible, which, of course, we know. No, of course not. You'd be like, fuck that guy. I w- I'll go do a citizen's arrest on him for eating adrenochrome. Yeah, no, no conservative, like if Obama invited them to the White House or like if Hillary didn't want, they wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, I'm I would be honored to face yeah. the president. Well, I they hope be you like, don't yell at me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, that's the thing true, is that the most Hannity unrealistic would... part about that is that she's a Republican and would put up with that because like fucking like uh, certain Democrats would just pucker the fuck up for anyone but Trump. They would pucker the fuck up. Yeah. If President Marco Rubio invited like. God, I guess Rachel Maddow. Yeah, one of those freaks of the White House. They would be like, "Sir, it is my honor to be in this office." Absolutely, <laughs> and get 100%. yelled at and be like, "We 100%. had a discussion." But no, that it was insane. And I actually do the coded messages of the West Wing. I do think it is a demonic message because it's like you're sacrificing the old, uh, poor people at the altar of like intellectual curiosity. If this, if this, I mean, we've seen what happens when Democrats bring conservatives into the White House uh, over, uh, 
you know, what they say. It's tax breaks for Latino business owners. Yeah. Like those weird, like, pet projects. More creative ways of booting people off of the already thin social safety net. And it's so people like this can feel good that they're working on some grand uh, on some grand project and that grand project is just eliminating the idea of ideology right (laughs) there's no disagreement right so like uh yeah eliminating the very idea of politics flattening it down to a negotiation something to be mediated between power brokers and like the, the weird thing is is that like i was hoping that he would like sort of I mean, like, that's the most interesting thing is that you want him to discuss characters because he clearly doesn't understand what people are. And so, like, you're wading through his kind of pathologically digressive speaking patterns. So, okay, that is like the first module or whatever. Uh, The first module is intentions and obstacles, which is the entire basis for the plot for him, which is completely completely insane and it makes sense why he has like the 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 snappy dialogue thing so like if he's talking he brings up the example of a road trip and he's like it can't just be a leisurely drive he's like you're going from new york to la why are you going from new york to la well it can't just be because you want to see friends it's like can't just be because you want to go to like dodger stadium because you wanted to see it your whole life that's not interesting it has to be something urgent everything for him has to be massive and urgent and grandiose which is insane because I think of like the last two maybe road trip films I saw and they were like Nebraska and maybe the Crystal Ferry where just there's no stakes. There's none. The whole movie is about is about just the trip and things that happen on the trip. That does, world cannot exist to Sorkin, which is why he has to keep writing about grander and grander people, which is why he has to write about the president of the United States. Or like Mark Zuckerberg or something. If he weren't Jewish, he would have written a passion play by now. He has to write about the biggest guy doing the biggest thing in the world because those are the only stories that exist to him. And he's really clear about that. Because as you said, he has no interest in characters really, which means that since if you don't have stakes in, in in a conversation, then you are the only other thing you can have is characters. Since he has no interest in the characters, since they all just sound like him then it has to be what they're talking about that gives it like meaning because the characters themselves will never be able to impart meaning. I will say, so this part, I sort of made a mental note of it and it's advice that I think is, it's weird. It's like a, uh, what's that shit called where uh, duck's feathers are a different color depending on what angle you look at them, like polychromatic. I was going to say iridescent, but... Whatever. I know what people you're talking about. Yeah, people yeah. get the idea. Like a hologram sticker. Right. It's like to someone who knows how to, how to write, it's bad advice because when I think about like my favorite pieces of fiction, like a lot of them, there are t- periods during which nothing happens. There are no stakes, but it's just very interesting looks at characters. Now scarred. Like, yeah, now scarred. Yes. Uh, how many S- Sopranos episodes are there where just like nothing really happens, but it's just interesting to see these characters interact with each other. But I thought it was good advice for the people that are earnestly watching this because they are the people who are like, me and my friends are so interesting. I want to make a show about our apartment. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, That's for true. those it's people. Like maybe, yeah. yeah, you probably need to care more about you know stakes and story structure than about your quirky cast of characters that are just like your fellow assholes. Yeah, think the, the people the people that earnestly are watching this, they're like, I have a great idea for a show. It's about me and my friends when we were right out of college. It was a really crazy situation because one of us went to Duke, but the rest <laughs> of us went to Vanderbilt. 
It's yeah. kind of a fish out of water thing. Yeah. <laughs> but like the thing is he's obsessed with steaks. He's obsessed with like, a, the you know, urgency and things like that. And he's like, well, no one's going to care about this. And again, you're right. That is correct for the people who are probably watching this. But like I think about I kept trying to think about like the lowest stakes movie I thought where I, where I saw where I got like really involved. And that thing that came up was like a documentary, which was King of Kong. And it was a guy entering yes. the Donkey Kong Championship, a, a video game that I hate and avoid at every like, you know, uh, pizzeria that has all the classic consoles. I'm more of a ghouls and goblins girl. And like, yeah, I, I don't care about the game, and, but you watch it. And by the end of it, you're like, God, I want him to win the Donkey Kong Championship so fucking bad. <laughs> that fucking asshole Billy Mitchell. I hate him. Dies. I hate him so much. And like, that's why it's a good movie is because you actually do care about something with which there are no stakes because it becomes important to you. Or really, any sports movie about any sport you don't give a shit about. I love sports movies, and I literally only like one sport. The entire pre- pre- uh, like premise of like, a happy Gilmore is like a guy who hates golf who suddenly has to care about golf. And it's, you know, it's a goofy Sandler comedy, but like that is a great writing premise. It's like now you have to yes. care about the old man fart sport. And it's really funny. And Bob Barker's in it. And that would never occur to someone like Sorkin because he's like, no, it has to be about like, where's the nuclear bomb? Yeah. Like I watched one of his, I watched his directorial debut, Molly's Game, which is actually a really crackling film, and it's a it's an interesting true story about a woman who opened a poker tournament, like a, an illegal poker room in L.A. and New York, and then got caught, and like you know her her life, and 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 it's got a good plot, and it, it's pretty decent, but at every point, Sorkin just has to lard on top like the the stakes of what's happening in front of him. Because there, he has no confidence in his characters holding any attention. Because he doesn't like people and he doesn't understand how other people would like people and he can't write people. Yeah, yeah. people are obstacles to what he wants. This, is what, I, this is what I said in the chat. To Aaron Sorkin, characters are obstacles to the story. Yes. Yes. That is a great observation, like why the only people he wants to write about now are presidents and like famous journalists. Because it's like... He is he is the perfect like liberal great man history buff. Oh yeah, yeah. You know he That's would the... absolutely like just love to make a movie about Jesus. Oh like, my he, god! He yeah. wants to. He just where does he have to go from here? I mean, he basically did world. with that Steve Jobs movie, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Wasn't that basically him being crucified by a bunch of uh, a pack of dullards who don't have his vision? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing is that he's an antisocial liberal. He thinks like he thinks people are are dull and stupid and uninteresting. Um, yes, no, he absolutely does. Uh, two two things on that. It is funny that given the spate of God TV shows right now, you have uh, of course, The Good Place, mm-hmm. God Friended Me, that show with Daniel Radcliffe where they're like angels. It is funny that he that he hasn't done like a workplace drama set in heaven where it's like oh my God. They, Peter and Mary doing like bants back and forth about how they're going to enact God's will on earth or whatever. Well, they're all I walking the and talking. to the heaven and it's like, it's basically like college acceptance week and they're like, okay, Galileo, what do, what do we do with it? <laughs> and then the other thing is, think back, talking back to my last point, this masterclass is such a perfect match for him because the plot is just a series of things to be solved to a Sorkin story. It's just like, 
there's a crisis or an obstacle and the character's actions aren't stemming from their like essential wants or desires. They are being forced through this mechanism in which you solve a plot. What's weird about this, like if we're going to get into the theology of Sorkin, yeah, he is Jewish, but his vision of the world is very Protestant. Protestants are the biggest, like great man people. Like I, I, I was thinking like how cursed a Sorkin production of if he did the story of David would be because he that that story is antithetical to the Sorkin or Protestant American Protestant uh, vision of the world and vision of great actors in the world. The story of David. Okay, but can we write that? Can we write the Sorkin version of David? Yeah. Yeah. It would be hilarious because the point of two Samuel is that and the story of David is that David's an awful guy but that God is so powerful that he can channel his will and his actions through this awful guy whose one redeeming trait is his unwavering faith in God. He David is terrible. He sucks he, he as just, a guy. But he loves the damn news. I mean, he loves yeah. God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but like that's the thing. Like all like all David's interactions and like interpersonal actions are like Wow, he's an awful guy. But all Jeff newsrooms are like, wow, he'll go out of his way for anyone. Like Protestants love like I don't know if this comes from like German forest fables or whatever the fuck, but like they <laughs> love their little fables about their great men. They love the the cherry tree and I cannot tell a lie or whatever bullshit about like John D. Rockefeller saving a penny every day. <laughs> they love it. They love it. Yeah, like Grimm's fairy tales. Yeah, just. Mid middle European bohunks, just like imagining very tall men chopping yeah. trees down with their blue ox friends. This is a this is a real hot one I'm coming in with, but the most Jewish movie made in the last thirty years, Gattaca. <laughs> Go on. Yes, Ga- Gattaca, Go on. Gattaca, it is the story it is to Samuel. It's like, no, this guy like sacrifices every interpersonal relationship, but he because he has this unwavering faith in the heavens, in getting to the heavens. He achieves it, but at what cost? Mm. That's that's uh, that's the Tanakh. There's something Very there. Good. Yes. Okay. The other thing is that he says that if an obstacle is easy to solve by a rational person, you have to quote plug it up, which immediately brought me back to like that scene from Carrie. But like, <laughs> but he's like, if 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 the obstacle could, if it if it has a quick and easy fix. It's not interesting, which means that he hates self-sabotage. So he hates like um, like he would hate Uncut Gems because at any point, Howard could have asked for help and said, I'm in trouble and borrowed money from his family and fixed it. But the whole thing is that he is his own obstacle because he has this vision of the kind of man he wants to be. He wants to be he, he has like this, you know, a perpetual growth sense of himself as a businessman he um, literally his obstacle could have been solved with humility, but he can't do it. So like for Sorkin, the idea that you might be your own obstacle would never work because he doesn't understand. He, he doesn't like people who self-sabotage, which is like a, which is like what which is a fundamental state of human nature. Well, that's the thing, though. He doesn't think that he thinks that humans are perfectible and he thinks that he is on that totem pole above many others well and when they have and flaws so, it's like that they so were an alcoholic are lesser they're lesser people they're less interesting they're less virtuous 
he doesn't want to write about them. They're bad guys. They can't be his protagonists. Well, did you? The, one of the other scenes they pick for the West Wing, it's the awful scene that we now realize that Sorkin thinks is a realistic dialogue where uh, Bartlett and Toby are in the Oval Office. And Toby's like, your problem, Mr. President, is that you're too, too smart. smart. And you feel bad. <laughs> oh, God. Yes. So yes. The whole thing. You're and too that's, smart. Yes. That is what, like, Sorkin, that's the kind of flaw that, like, Sorkin likes to give his characters is that they're too damn smart. Or, yeah, or the they just love post, the news too damn much. Yeah. The drill post that defines Sorkin is the one where it's the therapist telling the guy, everyone hates you because you're smart and you're perfect and you do perfect posts and and that and you're rightfully upset and and he says i agree it, that, that's that's yes. his entire thing that's it, an entire and like during that scene uh toby is like and then mr president your father saw that not only could you read the entire encyclopedia but your penis was bigger than his so he hit <laughs> yes. you and so he's he like go the damn hell away from my office <laughs> How many scenes in Sorkin are a guy are, is a, a secondary character convincing the protagonist how good they are, <laughs> and oh, that's how the conflict, and that's are. what they're fighting about. No, I'm not that yes. good. Yes, you are that exactly. Good. It's like recognize how goddamn brilliant you yeah. are, well, motherfucker. That because that's like it's like the same thing as someone who wants to kill themselves just to see how people would react. It's like that's what he wants to happen to him. <laughs> like, yes. will be like, yeah. well, like do you remember another my favorite scene in newsroom? Uh, of course, after uh, when Sam Watterson just drops dead like a Looney Tune, and oh, they yeah. <laughs> bang! Uh, the scenes where uh, Jeff Newsroom is in jail with a ghost of his father, the ghost of his father <laughs> who he didn't know was his father, or yeah. he might have. They never explained. Yeah, it. yeah, and the the dad ghost is like, um, yeah, I've yeah, you know what your problem is? You're so damn smart that you're fucking gay. I mean, yes. you have sex with a lot of famous actresses, you fucking gay-ass pussy. They did that with Toby, too. He said, like, there's there's two types of people, um, uh, good people and heterosexuals or whatever. Yeah, and, like, yeah. or, or, or it was, like, uh, intelligent or masculine or whatever. And it's like, oh, wow, like, Sorkin's daddy issues are, like, way up there. I mean, you know. Yeah, well, like, all of us of course but like I, i'd like to think we have a little more art with ours well that, that's the thing it's like he's obsessed with like strong male characters who are beaten by their dads and it's like did that happen to i kind of i'm sorry i'm sorry i don't think it happened to him i don't he know up, I, can't, like, I can't figure him out he's so opaque as like a person yeah, he's got a weird fucking thing girl. Well, he grew up like very upper middle class. That's yeah. typically not a thing that happens to us that often that we yeah. get beat by our dads. Uh did not happen to me. Um You know what? Maybe, I, maybe he's one of those people who was ignored by his dad and so he fantasized about having been beaten by his dad. That's a common upper middle class thing. That's a very common upper middle class the thing. thing. Is, is like you have a better poor to be friend. abused you, than ignored. Yeah, you have a poor friend who's like, yeah, my dad fucking put cigarettes out in my eyes. And you're like, God, I wish I could. Be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Like, just to not be ignored. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, like any attention is better than no attention. Yeah, it should, grass is always greener, right? But it's so weird because, like, he fucking, like, he should like people with actual, I mean, like, again, with the whole, like, oh, if they have a problem, plug, that's easily solved, just plug it up because it's not interesting. Like, 
that doesn't make any sense at all. And he should know that as a former cocaine addict. Like, obviously, he knew that this is what, and he writes about alcoholics, too. It's like, well, the the solution is, is actually very uncomplicated. Stop drinking. Stop doing coke. But it's hard. There's a difference between uncomplicated and easy. And he does not get the difference, which he should as a former cokehead. Uh, yeah, because yeah. yeah. he's a machine. Um, well, that's a, do you think he's like trans? Um, he's putting things into the fly machine where it's like he's remembering all the people who are like, <laughs> Aaron, you have to do stop doing cocaine and replacing it with like, Aaron, you're too smart. Well, that's what you. Th- <laughs> well, that's, that's what they sound like when you're on thing. cocaine. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. That's the same thing. Like the cocaine is like his smart fuel. It's allows go go juice and think even faster. It's his go go juice. It's his gamer fuel. And so if you're telling him don't take it, you're telling him not to be smart as he could be. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. Uh, okay, I'm trying to read my own notes here, which I did not write on cocaine. I just have bad handwriting. You you handwrite your notes? That's I horrible. do, yeah. I don't I try not to look at screens uh ah, that makes all the sense. Time. Yeah. I just I, I have the uh, UV blocking glasses. So I should probably do that. But also I'm starting to, I, I bought a beanbag because I'm starting to get back pain. From being hunched over. Can I send you the gamer chair I bought? It's like been amazing for my back. Send me a link at least. And definitely yeah. send me a link to the microphone because I'm pretty sure my microphone yeah, yeah. is a tin can with a string on it. I got I got some purchases for you. Yeah. So I, the weird thing is though, he is like very smart at times. And you can tell at one point he used to be like kind of moving to becoming a better writer. He has like every once in a while good advice where he says like... Uh, you know, if if what you want to write about is an incident or a series of incidents, it's probably more of a, you know, it's probably more of a series. Or if, like when he says, um, like the stuff about like learn to adapt, write, learn to adapt something first, like get a story you like and adapt it. Like to actually do the technical work of writing, like open, open up like final draft and start fucking learning how to do that shit. But none of the, nothing makes any sense. He loves William Goldman, which is like a great like screenwriter, like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and like uh, the Princess Bride, like uh, like really great scripts, like funny, like a funny comedy, and like a you know one of the great romantic cowboy movies. And I'm, how do you get from like really liking like William Goldman to doing like walk and talk things and not liking characters or people or anything? I think you just admire like the snappiness and you just say, I want to do that, but more and faster. Yeah. yeah. He's in love with the rhythm. He's like in. The, yes. It's the rhythm. Exactly. Yeah. It's the rhythm of the night. He's a bit. Yeah. Everyone considers Aaron Sorkin a reggae style of writer. <laughs> so, uh, by the way, uh, module three is really great because he starts in on s- story ideas and, uh, he says the most cocaine brain thing I've ever heard in my life. And I'm good. I, I wrote it down just word for word so I can quote it. There are two parts to having an idea. You have to know what an idea is, and then you have to have one. <laughs> damn. God damn. My man did. My man said I invented thinking, too. <laughs> <laughs> Double thinking. And then he goes on to say something that's so sympathetic that, again, I start to feel bad for him, where he says he wishes he had a second shot at everything he's ever done, which means he regrets his entire career. Ooh, that's perfect. That he, one of his shows is about him 
looking back on news that he experienced and then redoing it with his commentary on it. God, he's a man so who lives in regret. Back with the idea that he could have done a better job. He he's could have been do, more clever. Oh, he could have been more frictionless in the moment. He's going to do citizen cocaine. <laughs> nice. Perfect. I mean, like, I, it. It, it kind of, like, lets me, like, it allowed me to have, like, this, like, very, like, pitiable affection for him because, like, he clearly doesn't like anything he does at all. No. I think understands that as, like, kind of a pathologically discursive person, which I am, which Felix is, like, he's not actually very good at communicating a lot of the time, which is, it is like, why teach a class? And that's, like, a separate skill than writing. Like, just because you could do something yeah. doesn't mean you can teach people to do things. Like, did you guys ever hear about this very famous uh, Marlon Brando acting technique? Yes, yes. yes. No, it's a perfect example of this. Right. Marlon Brando, genius, fucking amazing actor, but like quite a few actors, total idiot and doesn't know why he's a good actor. Yes. He, yeah, no, that's, he changed acting. Like literally before Brando, everything was like, ah, we're going to go down, we're going to. We're going to go to the soda shop. Like, everyone talked in that fucking weird 50s way. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, Brando was the first guy to be like, what the fuck? No one sounds like that. Yeah. <laughs> and he changed it forever. Yeah, but they also like big, fat, marble-mouthed oafs. Yeah. Yeah, but but also, yeah, uh, buffoon. buffoon. Total buffoon. Man. Total buffoon. When you look like Stanley Kowalski or, like, a character like that, which is, like, a, it, it does, you know, he's an abusive asshole that you also want to have sex with. Like... It's a very complicated and like layered character. I mean, partially because he looks like Marlon Brando at his prime, but but it's like this very layered character. Marlon Brando couldn't tell you why he did what he did, but he just he just did it, and he's really really good at it. It's the same thing. Like this is Louis C.K. before he like um you know did the material that was like my daughter's a stupid cunt and I love her. Yeah, he had yeah. this observation on Opie and Anthony. That I thought was like it's. Oh, I love Louis on on O and A. They were so. Those were the. Fucking, oh yeah. Those were so with Patrice. Funny. Yeah. God damn! I, I miss, know. I wish I was sixteen again, playing Counter Strike and listening to those. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he said like that he's he was getting into sports and he said this thing that like, um, it was hard for him because he loved sports because he loved watching the story of these amazing like brave people doing these incredible superhuman actions that were absolutely brilliant in and of the moment but then when they would ask them to talk about them or ask them to res- describe it they'd just be like does sometimes uh you have to work really hard to get the touch yes yes <laughs> yeah, and it's the same same shit yeah sorkin also says he wishes he was still a playwright and i kind of wonder if like he hadn't have been given free reign to write about the biggest things in the world and have like grandiose like cocaine ambitions if maybe he his writing would have like shaped up yeah, he he got he got successful too early, and he was able to just indulge himself, and he kind of I think lost probably any rigor uh, yes. that he had mm-hmm. and perspective. Oh, he he uh, briefly returned to playwriting for a rewrite of To Kill a Mockingbird, which I saw on Broadway. That's right. Yes. And I did a whole uh, episode of of Joel and Dave Anthony's uh, uh, West Wing thing, which I will be doing uh, after this. This is part of my research. We're doing a crossover, folks, and. The th- so I saw that. And the thing about it is two things. It's like he took, I think he wanted to do it because he took the play that was most already like a Sorkin thing and wanted to be like, now how can I Sorkin this up by just making the dialogue more snappy mm. and stuff? 
condensed yeah. Sorkin. Well, and and Catherine Liu writes about this and like To Kill a Mockingbird, whatever. I loved the book as a child, um, but like when you grow up and read it, you're like, oh, this is Cold War propaganda about how there are good poor people and bad poor people. Yes, yeah, and uh, some people don't. There, are, there is a deserving poor and an undeserving poor. And uh, and also lawyers and technocrats are are what is going to solve these problems. Uh, Those are the heroes. Would it surprise you to learn that Sorkin's take on it is that uh, uh, Atticus Finch is basically a god who solved racism through owning people with facts and logic? Yes, uh, there you go. But there everybody go. else was too stupid because they were poor. Uh, mm, to yeah. to damn right. poor and stupid to, to pay attention to take right. the key that he handed them to solving racism and uh, and unlock the door and so he has to go back to toiling in in passionate ignominy. Yes, and it's and it's the uh, the uh, dirty poor people, the dirty poor white people who are racist, and uh, the educated uh, like liberal white people who are who are the only bulwark against these filthy unwashed masses that just want their job back at the racism factory that yeah that, what, that's definitely true in the south it's not like there's a tradition of literal yeah. aristocratic slave owners and fucking <laughs> dying well that's why they cut out originally the whole book because that second book that they came out with it in her a couple of years ago go tell a watchman where uh scout goes back in the 60s and atticus is a bitter old racist that actually like that's that's more realistic. That makes he's a southern lawyer. No, thank you. No, thank you. No, he's a perfect angel man. Yes. But yeah. OK, so like he gets to the point where he's talking about Sports Center, which is a show that I've uh, or, or sports night uh, uh, because he was addicted to Sports Center. And the, oh, the sentence you love the banter, the sentence he said, I, again, I wrote down this as a quote. He said, I was watching it. I was watching a ton of it. And I, and I thought, I bet working at Sports Center would be fun that you could meet some friends and get a girlfriend there. And I was like, oh, I'm so sad. <laughs> oh, oh, I man. feel bad. For, oh, poor sweetie. Well, I'm the, so sorry your father know. didn't pay attention to you. I wish he did oh, meet you. <laughs> this is very I, uncomfortable for me because these are all thoughts I had when I was like 15. <laughs> <laughs> this is very uncomfortable. Thank like, God you are, found the internet and opening it. Holy shit. Thank yeah. God for po- No, these are all just like upper middle class, like youngest child thoughts. <laughs> it's <laughs> holy fuck. Also, this would have been in the 90s. And like there are a lot more like sports uh, journalists and sportscasters now that are women. But how many women like how, what girlfriend? There was like what? Like one blonde? Like well, Sorkin, love, Sorkin loves that. Like the one like sassy like busty hot chick who hangs with the guys and can keep <laughs> up with uh, there are like three of those on sports night i'll have you know felicity yeah. huffman plays one of them Sork- uh, the, the, that's Sork- probably more than were on sports center at that time well they're behind the scenes yeah he, yeah he, right yeah he, he thinks that there's like just this like um woman with the perfect like hip to hit hip to tits ratio who can tell you all about the red Sox, and she would appreciate his bookish but firecracker day. fuck yeah. this dude. he loves oh, he loves a dumb blonde republican shiksa that is I his would, favorite woman in the world he wants to have like a snappy he doesn't want to have sex with an anglo-saxon he wants to have like a, a snappy he wants to s- skip past the part where they have sex but at the part where they're in bed and they're arguing and he's like well you people seem to think that you have to take guns to every sporting event 
Yes. She's you like, remember that well, she ba- dated ba- At least Chris- we actually have sports. You would make everyone the winner. Like, he wants that. Yes. You know, he he dated Christian Chenoweth for years, right? Yeah. That is wild. He was a Christian, and their relationship was the inspiration for the relationship between pa- Sarah Paulson and Matthew Perry on Studio 60. I would- he actually lived that out. My God. Like, having a Christian girlfriend that he could argue with. He, he, she's uh, southern too yes yeah. she's southern yeah. as well yeah he um <laughs> i would love to write my own movie about aaron sorkin having an unlikely romance with uh one of the women from barstool's chicks in the office podcast i think that would be fun <laughs> and like sorkin and dave portnoy having like a tete-a-tete he loves that though the the, the one girl he, he loves What's the female Smurf? Smurfette. Smurfette. So like fucking that's his, She usually that's has his, a male name, as we've discussed. That's his attitude towards, oh, yeah, you're right, male names. He Holy loves male names. Yeah. yeah, CJ and stuff. Yeah, no, that's what he wants, is he wants the Smurfette. He's like, and then there will be a girl, and she will be my girlfriend. Aaron Sorkin, that, if Aaron Sorkin, like, performs some amazing deeds and is allowed, like, uh, if they, if the Jews get together and we change Shul to be more like Protestant heaven... Sorkin will be greeted in heaven by a 70 foot tall Anglo-Saxon woman like Taylor Swift, who will like yes. pick him up and yell at him. <laughs> yes, that is his heaven. Yeah. So he gets to his first feature, which he describes as um, something that happens when the characters, metaphorically speaking, die at the end. If, if he's not writing about them, they don't exist. Like that's his whole attitude towards characters again. Um, you, yeah, that put that part where he said like a character is born at the age they live at, like that they are in your play. They're never five years old. They just come into the world at like thirty five, and yes. I thought that was like insane. What was the thing where he says, uh, "I don't have characters in my head"? That's a quote, and he said the tactics that the character uses to overcome that obstacle are what. That's what the characters are going to be. That's a direct quote. Like he has the most functionalist yeah. view of 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 human beings that exist, which is weird because he wrote a fucking rom com with uh, Wait, which was his rom com? Let's see here, The American President. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With like Annette Benning. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. I th- uh, I loved it when he talked about American President because it's like it showed what a good natured dope Robert Redford is. I know. Robert Redford was trying for a decade to make a movie about if the president was, was a, a widow. widow. Yeah, and he had he had twelve scripts. This is the worst story in the world. And like Sorkin doesn't get that it, it's it's both shameful for both him and Redford. He's like, you know, I, I was, he's been trying to make a movie about what if the president's wife was dead, which by the way has happened. Like yes, Andrew Jackson. Yeah, he's like a tr- like he's been trying to make a movie for like tw- like something ridiculous, fifteen years, and he's got a stack of like twelve or fifteen scripts. And then he just points at them and Aaron Sorkin and he says to Aaron Sorkin, could you just like rewrite one of those so it's good? And then they want to make a movie. That is the it's funny on so many levels. Like a Robert Redford, like when he started desiring, this was probably like the hottest actor, like the the guy. Right. Yeah. Mr. A-list. Oh, just beautiful. Yeah. And it's like, what's your dream project? You can do anything. He's like, what if the president had to date? (laughs) fucking what a good what if though a a good-natured oafish idiot chad robert redford i know yeah yeah, he's a benevolent chad 100 percent. yeah like he's a um he's he's a bimbo i'm trying to think of who we've pointed out these guys before 
that like Jason Momoa. Yes, Momoa. Like he should be a dick, but you know he's like the nicest fucking guy and still hangs out with his friends from high school. Absolutely, yeah. Like that is like that's Redford. Yeah. That is it was just like it's such a funny thing to want. When you can get anything. Like anything. He probably like Redford probably could have played like like he could have gotten like the Kubrick Napoleon movie made and he was like, No. I want yeah. the widow president movie. <laughs> and everyone was just like, no. That's a bad <laughs> idea. Yeah, this sucks, dude. Yes. It does uh, speak to their shared type of dopeness or mania where the, the your brain is just like, well, I want a thing about something I like, Redford's version of dating. But it has to be the most that thing. Yeah. What yeah. is the most dating <laughs> that could happen? Well, if the president did it. And he was a widow. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they, well, if you had a president who dated, that wouldn't be sympathetic because he's this powerful guy. He could just take advantage of people. Ah, make him sympathetic. His if wife has died. Right. Yeah. He's got to be a widow. It's the only way for it to work. Otherwise, he's a cad or or yeah. or, or like a, a real president. Yeah. 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 So, you, uh, the, Felix, did you, when watching this, get the impression that like Sorkin was trying to sort of ask for work? Like he was like, so I'd, I'd love to yeah. write a movie about an, an astronaut if, if someone would would like to do that like oh that how has cool. he not written the fun thing about the space race right because I mean, he, he about loves stakes, astronauts the highest possible stakes and he loves the that mid-century high modernist america when can-do men just got shit done because women weren't yapping in their damn faces all the time yeah oh my god i i did yeah because it's like when i watch these it, it, that's the thing it's like i wonder like I was wondering a lot about the economics of this. Like, how much do these guys get paid for this? Because a lot of the people in it are fantastically rich. Sorkin is an eight-figure baller. Gordon Ramsay, eight-figure baller. David Lynch, I don't know what he buys. Like, probably, like, little cursed wooden yeah. trinkets. Yeah. Those can't cost that much. He doesn't have to do this. Yeah. So what is, what is the other? Like, they probably get paid, like, a seven-figure amount for this, I would assume, right? Oh, yeah. It yeah. has to be. It has but, to be a huge amount of money. But also, they have to want something else. Like, I think, yeah, Sorkin correctly identifies that probably, like, a lot of money, Silicon Valley, like, money guys who want to fund a movie watch idiotic yeah. shit like this. It's weird that they haven't gotten into Hollywood yet. Because, oh, wait, they don't like art. I forgot. They hate art, but yeah. I think, like, Sorkin could be the perfect vehicle for them. Because he's not totally. really making, like, yeah, it's something, like, he makes their vision of the world the great man changing the tides of history well and he made the social network and like he yeah, yeah like he he recognizes that those are titans of men and they're such like assholes too that i think they don't get that this is like like they're like you know 14 year olds watching scarface being like oh this is a movie about how a guy is cool well i think they like the other part too where it's like wow it's tragic how smart i am <laughs> Yes, true, true, true. Like it's 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 hell out there for someone as talented and wonderful as me. But the thing I, I, I kind of want to end on is that like one thing that really shocked me is that he really loves Tarantino. Um Yeah, yeah. He really talks Tarantino up in this. He loves he loves Tarantino genuinely in a way that he's he's not kissing ass or anything. I don't I don't think he's capable of kissing ass. I think that's I think he's bad at most things socially but um it is kind of refreshing that like you realize oh all of his characters are abrasive and shitty because he doesn't know how to write someone who would be otherwise certainly not unctuous but he talks about tarantino and he says like 
Well, um, if you were like Tarantino, uh, I'm guessing I, I haven't asked him, but I, I think he was just born with a head full of great plot ideas, yes. which is insane because Quentin Tarantino very famously just totally recycles plots and themes from that's his whole thing. He's a pastiche. And I love Quentin Tarantino. This whole thing is that he's a pastiche guy. He's literally a movie obsessive to the point where like people think that's some kind of a criticism. They're like, Oh, he's just some guy that worked at a movie store. Like, yeah, what are you a fucking snob? He's an autodidact who like voraciously consumed movies and does these amazing things with them. And like, that's the thing is that like Tarantino loves movies. That's why. He's good at making movies. And Sorkin thinks it's just because he's like a god that was like gifted with like, he just has these great ideas. He just has Kill Bill in his head. You know, like <laughs> he was just born with Jackie Brown. Like, does Sorkin like movies anymore? Has he enjoyed a movie? Do you think in the past 20 years? He did at some point, you know, obviously. I don't know. I think he kind of views all art art forms as just vehicles for his expression. I don't think yeah. he takes them in like as a a fan. Yeah, he's not a fan, and that's the, yeah. that's that's the two things that like I kind of took away is that like he doesn't like characters and he doesn't understand how people how how he how he produces what he like how people produce something other than he doesn't understand different creative techniques or whatever he only understands like this weird set of um of uh i guess like strategies and and formulas for television which are incredibly effective which he perfected in a, in a cocaine haze uh which i i hate and are awful but are like very coherent and are definitely a thing he doesn't understand that like some people make movies or write or whatever with because they are obsessed with stories and characters and they like them so much that they want to make one of their own like he it must have been years since he like saw something in a theater and got really fucking excited he probably just gets jealous when he sees things that are good yeah it's not him absolutely i think so but but it is weird that he likes tarantino someone who is like funny and absurdist like it's essentially like uses pastiche in very referential intentional ways and it's like you know that that like comes from the fact that he's a movie obsessive and he loves movies and characters and stories and you just kind of really like the president and astronauts <laughs> and the dang news that's probably why he started and wanted to go back to play the theater. Cause I bet he also in the same way, doesn't really like theater, but it is the clearest vector from his words to people's brains. Yeah. There's one mediating force. An actor learns the words and then they say and the they words. Say to, them. You, have to you don't have to deal all this bullshit with like getting a film crew together to put like buy a, or locations or, or set up yeah. studios or anything. He you gets just, to play directly with the dolls. They're yeah, in exactly. his hands. Yeah. By the way, I just want to ask, uh, d- d- how's Jeff Daniel's southern accent, Chris? Uh, I would say, I would say um, an eight on the foghorn leghorn scale. <laughs> oh, man, that sounds cool. Fun. He's, uh, he's, he's milking it. Okay, so um, that's like the first half of the thing. <laughs> oh, Jesus I'm Christ. sorry, but like, I, 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 it's, there's so much going on, and I'm fascinated. I'm now slightly a little bit like I kind of love Aaron Sorkin. 
because he's this tragic, <laughs> inevitable. he's this tragic figure who started out clearly. He had some passion for this stuff, and he's just slowly lost his way and reduced writing to sort of like a completely soulless, inhuman, technocratic process. And now you can see the frustration in his face and hear it in his voice. But there's still little glimpses of a guy who at some point must have loved like the theater and movies and, you know, maybe even a person. <laughs> it's just very sad. And now, now I'm obsessed with him. It's just like this hollowed out weirdo who doesn't have, there's no place for him in a post-Trump world, you know? He must be so lost. Was he on fucking Masterclass being like, uh, just, you know, if anybody's interested, I'd, I'd, I'd like to write something about an astronaut. They're kind of like tough guys. Like, it's just clearly like, it's clearly he's just grappling around for to, to, to do something grand again. But he fucking peaked because he went, he, he, he started at the president too early. Yeah. What are you going to do now? The Galactic Senate? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's He's dead. like, Aaron Sorkin's probably like pushing for one world government, like what the right wing conspiracy theorists <laughs> of yeah. the 90s Just thought was happening. Just give me a world president that I can write about, please. Yeah. Please. I oh, mean, my if, God. Aaron Sorkin, Warhammer, 40K. <laughs> if he weren't such, a, if he weren't such an, an Americanist, I mean, he could write like a great walk and talk about the EU. Oh my! Aaron Sorkin, Xi Jinping movie. Oh, amazing! Yes. Yeah, there are other options. Oh man, but his to rise, him, like, his rise through the ranks of the Chinese Communist Party. Oh all the, yeah. Uh, think of all the all the halls he would have had to have walked down and talked <laughs> talked during. Okay, okay. To, how about this? To scheme this his way like to the top of the Chinese Communist Party. Walking a walk and talk single shot, three day long movie of walking the entire Great Wall, <laughs> <laughs> and they're just talking the whole time. Yeah. Perfect. But what are yeah. the stakes? What are the stakes? Um, that that there is, that the they need they need to increase iron ore exports from the Guangzhou province. Yep. So yep. so we need this iron ore. Okay. Well, do we actually need it, or does it sound like uh, we aren't producing the required amount and everything's fine? No, I'm saying that we're going to need it for where we're going. Okay, where are we going? I can't tell you until we get the iron ore. Okay. Well, there's your problem. And three days of that. Yeah, pretty good. I, I, the only thing I can imagine him doing now is a some sort of a West Wing reboot where the president has to deal with coronavirus, but instead of the real world where Trump is dealing with it, it's a Sorkin president. I think a, played by Aaron Sorkin himself. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, well, I think a Sorkin thing about Trump would be good, like having those heavy Bartlett conversations, but that would about be so like funny. Graydon Carter and yes. Nelly Orr and like, yeah, amazing. Like, to Toby having a conversation with Trump where it's like, your father hated you <laughs> because you knew that the Oscar party was no longer hot. <laughs> <laughs> your father was jealous that you had the courage to call out bad food restaurants. <laughs> oh God. Donald you Trump, act like, like you're not the coolest guy in the room, but you know that you are. Yeah. Donald Trump doing the Bartlett Cathedral scene, but he's <laughs> yelling at he's yelling at uh Anna Wintour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's uh the first half of my deep dive of the psychoanalytic um examination of of uh the state of Aaron Sorkin through via his his master class. A psychoanalysis of Aaron Sorkin. 
god. Absolute masterclass once again. Absolute masterclass. All right. Uh, I guess that's that. That's kind of that. We we spilled. Yeah. All right. The tea was spilled. Uh, We did it. Another. Yes.